Welcome to episode 11 of Once Upon a Lifetime. Welcome back to episode 6 of Eunice Kennedy Shriver. We ended with the death of JFK, and we're going to just launch right into the way the family dynamic changed after his death. So Eunice is now effectively the oldest Kennedy. Imagine being fifth in line and all of a sudden your oldest brother's died. Your next Mm -hmm. sister has had a lobotomy. Right. The next sister has died. And now the last brother, you know, I mean, she's the oldest. Mm -hmm. 42 and now has no older siblings. Very strange. Um, So she goes right to work to implement the laws that Jack had signed right before his death she knows they have to keep that momentum going or everything else is it's just going to fall apart like all of the inroads that they had made she can't maybe that's what's driving her she says we can't risk and she wants administration change could just undo so much of the work oh and it's like lbj not friendly but the kennedys anti-kennedy he in fact when jackie is leaving the house the white house they have to avoid each other Oh, the Johnsons and her they they so it is so awful and she put up this plaque here John F. Kennedy slept in that room and they took it down right away just yeah I don't want to talk about it it's upsetting (laughs) Um, I that's like from a whole different see this is what I mean it's a little bit hard to like talk about the Kennedy talk when I want to talk about Eunice she deserves her own her due the way this I just feel like the woman had sense and she knew what to do all the time. And there was probably part of her that sensed, like, if mm-hmm. I don't keep moving with this, right, and it's going to be dead. Well, it's going to be dead in, in the water. In any kind of an emergency, too, Eunice was the one in the family that people would rely on. I mean, m- much yes. later when the grandkids and kids were getting into scrapes and trouble, some quite serious, Eunice would be the one to kind of show up with the lawyers or go bail them out of jail or you know like i mean really she's yeah she's the reliable one she is the one who the get her done yeah yes. she is and she really takes on that oldest role like right fine so i mean as much as was... she idolized her older brothers mm-hmm. and she really did she is now the oldest and she is in charge yeah. so um this whole antagonism between lbj and jfk Johnson ends up asking Sarge to head up the largest expansion of social programs since the New Deal, since FDR's New Deal. I mean, it is going to be this huge amount of money poured into the war on poverty. And Sarge has an opportunity to be in charge of it. And so there's a little bit of it's a little strange Mm -hmm. because on the one hand, Johnson is so anti-Kennedy and he won't ask Bobby to do this or Ted, or, you know, he wouldn't ask a Kennedy, but he's asking Sarge. And anyway, it seems like Eunice had no problem with this. This was not for her an issue. She was like, great. It's an honor. Your president has asked you to serve. You should do it. It's also a great opportunity. Eunice also needs to keep her foot in the door of the white house. And this is the way she can do it. She understands that she can't run into Jack's desk like she had done before and just, you know, march right in and and breeze in like that is now lost to her. So this is an excellent way. If Sarge is in there, she has a means. Yes. Yes, she does. So the other thing is happening this year, 1963. 
is important. It's a this is a this is a red flag. Like, keep, remember it. Um, Sarge is in charge of the war on poverty. She gets this phone call from the mother of a disabled child, and the mother says, "I have no summer camp or activity." to put my kid in none of these summer camps will accept my child Mm -hmm. and they're bored and I don't know what to do with them and I'm really kind of up a creek and Eunice is like oh you're right there isn't one I didn't realize that's how it started that's how it started like a phone call from a mom isn't that great that's so great it's so great it's so simple and she's like oh there's no summer camp for (laughs) disabled children well I'll have one at my house yes But yes, yeah. <laughs> she all, many acres and many animals. Yes. And I've got a pond yeah. that we could boat on and I have a pool that they can swim in and right. I have tennis courts that they can play tennis on and they can ride horses and well, I will and just she do this. Knows. Like remember with poor Rosemary when they would like lob the tennis balls yes. at her and row with her and, and sail with her. her. And even though it seemed like maybe this wasn't making much of a difference, I think she knew that it did that like athleticism and activity and engagement like to any degree could just bring out more well she was always really impressed with how well rosemary could swim it was like rosemary couldn't do a whole lot of things but she was a very strong swimmer right before the lobotomy she was really physically she was very strong yes and she was a good swimmer and so eunice was in she was so proud of that you know rosemary was so proud of it she could take pride in it it gave her confidence and whenever Rosemary's having confidence she had less temper tantrums Mm -hmm. and in addition Rosemary had been right before the lobotomy she had been um pulled out of a summer camp in fact Rose had put her in this summer camp and said she's coming to you and you need to assign one counselor to her just you know she needs to have her own counselor with her at all times but didn't really tell them that she was disabled. Oh, sure. Whatever school or camp that Rosie was going to, they never knew what they were getting un- until she came, which... Right. In most cases, do? they tried to roll with it. But in yes. this case, the sisters who ran this summer camp were very overwhelmed. So within three weeks, she was basically kicked out. Mm-hmm. And I think that is very much in Eunice's mind. There really isn't a place for these people. That's and, really equipped to handle. And I know what that is like. I've seen that in my own family that just because you're disabled does not mean you shouldn't have fun in the summer. Right. Doesn't mean you shouldn't learn how to do these fun activities that you could then do with your family at home. And it just equips you to mm-hmm. live a fuller life. So she decides she's going to start one. So she does. And she has three dozen kids come to her house in all manner of volunteers. So what she does is oh, she's yeah. three dozen kids and she, and her own kids. They're home for the summer. So she has those three dozen, her own children, who were oblivious to the fact that these kids, like they're watching the buses coming and they're not really cognizant that these kids have any kind of like delays or disabilities. They're like, we are going to have friends to play with. So we they're have excited. 36 friends right. coming to this play at super, our house. But really okay, on board. But then after that come the helpers, which is really interesting. I do think the helpers, because she wants to have one counselor per child to really be able to give full attention to that kid. And, you know, it's got to be safe and all of that. So especially when you're swimming and boating and, you know, horseback riding, like there should be one adult per child. But she can't always get high school or college kid volunteers. So she ends up bussing in prisoners 
<laughs> from the local prison. She's probably thinking, well, you you have nothing else to do. Oh Come my. and do some good. She loves prisoners. I know. She, and yes. it's so funny, though, because right. it's like, actually, it makes perfect sense. It is such a like Shriver soup of but, all but the ingredients. I mean, it's like, like all of the bits are in there. Who, need to get outside of themselves to help other people outside right. of themselves in you, the fresh could, air and sunshine and like really do this today no, i you feel couldn't. like you couldn't uh, yeah this would be a major legal nightmare only yes, eunice today. can do this yeah. this is a eunice this thing is a because you all the red tape yes. and just do whatever she gives zero cares what anybody thinks she's like here's the prisoners they have nothing to do they're just sitting around all day these kids need someone and there go. you go. Yeah, she says it's so good for all of them. She says exactly. the prisoners see that these kids, it, it, that they think when they get there, you know, oh, this kid can't do anything. But then they, by the end of the day, they can see how much that kid can do. And it really builds everybody up. Yeah. It's just kind and of a win-win. They win. feel great about themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're out sure. in the sun. Like it, yeah. And a big thing that happens in this camp is that the parents, it really starts to change the minds of the parents because we're still fighting against this prejudice. And there are some parents who are very forward thinking and very, they're advocating for their kids and they're trying, you know, they're proud of their kids. But that is still a very rare thing and so this gives a lot of parents at the end of the camp they come and the the kids can kind of show off what they've learned that week and the parents are like oh my gosh my child can ride a horse right and it just blows their mind i'm proud of this child and they up till now they've been ashamed of this child so eunice is really trying to completely turn on its head that whole the way we are thinking about disability the tagline for Camp Shriver, is, which is what they called it, Camp Shriver, mm-hmm. is where everybody is somebody. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She wanted, like, all aspects of society to be represented. And, you know, and there was no segregation either. So it was just a super inclusive, rambunctious Oh, yeah. And back, this place. is the 1960s in D.C. Mm-hmm. There are race riots happening. But... Eunice doesn't care. Not, on, I mean, not yes, at Timberwolf. Eunice cares. Yeah. Eunice cares. And how she shows she cares is that there is no segregation at this camp. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, she's actually, yeah, she's very, very inclusive. And she's so hands-on that not only is she running this, she's in her swimsuit in the pool with these kids. She gives the swimming lessons. Yeah. She's the swimming instructor. That's so great. It's just That's wonderful. It's really inspirational. It is. Yeah. It is. Tim, their third child says, there is no division between our lives and the camp. No lines, no boundaries. There is no question that she was on a mission and we were on the mission with her. But she didn't have motherhood and wifehood and professionalhood separate. They were all the same. Her brother's political careers, her husband's career, her own career, her children's lives. I mean, this is that Eunice soup. It it really is. Everything is just in there, messy yes. and yep. together, bubbling and... away. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I really love Sarge's support of all of these wacky ideas. I mean, who is this man who is willing to live with this chaos? Oh yeah. You know? Like he's he he's still okay. Yes, he comes home and he's got his briefcase and he has like other people that are working on policy and projects with him, and they put their briefcases down in the hall and they have to like walk over wet towels and bows and arrows and like what have you. That's like... exactly how I picture it. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly how it was. People will come over and just be just sort of like bewildered for a while yeah. and then you just had to learn to go with it. Like, oh, this is Eunice's place. Yes. Got yes. It. 
I think once you just you catch her enthusiasm, you have no choice. Either you catch the enthusiasm or it just rolls over you. Yeah. So Right. I wanted to say at this point, this is interesting because so Sarge is really totally in, involved in her world and she's totally involved in his. They they work separate but together still they're not i mean they both have their own primary work mm. but it's so similar some of their work has so much overlap that they're, it's always feeding each other so she hires the kennedy foundation hires an expert on early education who gives lectures about the efficacy of early education to help mentally disabled children get a leg up well so sarge is at these lectures and he thinks well, I'm not working with mentally disabled kids, but I am working with kids who are coming from impoverished the settings. Part, yeah. right. And he thinks maybe early education could help impoverished kids get a leg up too. So he starts Head Start, the, the, the public preschool, yeah. right. preschool program. And it now serves up to 32 million children a year, the Head Start program. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, at the time, there were only even just like a few dozen kindergartens in in the area. Like, it just early education was not on anybody's radar because they thought the place is for the young, young, young child to be just with a mother, which is good and everything. But it was especially the, if the scenario is yes. a positive. But if not, you're looking at needing something else. Yes. Right. Like, if you're not getting the stimulation in your maternal relationship or in your family home, if you're not getting it at all, this program is going to offer that because every kid needs it. Either you're going to get it at home or you can get it at this program right. instead of just being kind of left, yeah, left to out. Flounder. Right. Yes. Right. So he does this and he starts it and it's widely believed to be the most effective and the best of all of the anti-poverty programs in the war on poverty and LBJ's war on poverty. This is the most effective. And it came as a kind of direct result of the partnership between Sarge and Eunice and how their lives overlap. And that, that Eunice soup, like this mm -hmm. is another part of that. It's the part of the, the Sarge part it's of the another soup. another ingredient. You know? yeah. It is. And there was a, one French aide when they were later on there in France, but, um, Eunice's assistant says her mind ran in such wonderful and exciting directions. Some of it was just crazy. She would go so far afield and have such ambitious thoughts. We had regularly scheduled meetings with Sergeant Shriver. She would go there and the purpose seemed to be to throw all her ideas out there. I'm thinking this. I'm thinking of that. I want to go here and I want to do this. And he would be the one who would have to rein her in. And she trusted his judgment. And... Her pragmatism also balanced out his runaway idealism when necessary. So there's this real Balance. balancing yeah. effect that Just is happening. An amazing team. Yeah, really, this is what I mean by they have the best Kennedy marriage. Like, not only are they faithful to each other, and there's not a right, there's nothing they, weird going on. Yeah, they did have on. some good marriages, you know, within. We all kind of know about the the more questionable Kennedy relationships, but I think that as far as like a couple where both are really kind of living their lives to the fullest and achieving just such an amazing potential and getting things done these two stand out and loving each other they just yes. it was it, it's like it didn't take away from their relationship yes. Yes. it wasn't competing for their relationship right. it, the whole sort of crazy thing was feeding i think it must they were just both be eating the soup yeah it must be double extrovertism yes. yeah you know they must both be extroverts and this is i'm just thinking there's no introvert 
situation happening here because they're just like so go 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 i don't know how you'd survive the eunice (laughs) whirlwind and then to thrive in it they must just both be yeah built that way yeah sometimes too when when you dive into a biography it's kind of disconcerting to to read you know that the relationship really isn't what it should be or could be and the story of their marriage is just like so awesome i know we're focusing on eunice but i'm just so happy for her that she just found the right person she waited a long long time but you know it's just it's such a wonderful thing that this part of her life was so solid yes like a source of stability and joy and she got that approval that she craved so much like sarge just adored her and everything she did was great the frizzy hair he loved it the notes on the sweaters he thought it was great and an aide once made a crack about that i think somebody had asked where's eunice and um you know she didn't care about like son's sunscreen wasn't a thing I don't think in the 60s and she was always out boating and on the beach and everything so her skin was like a little weather beaten and someone just quipped oh she's upstairs ironing her face (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was probably the last words by uttered by that like Sarge heard about it and that was it they were out on their ear he wouldn't hear anything against her he loved her he says in 2008 so he's I mean they're getting up there you know He says, I would gladly scrap any work of my own simply to watch her in action. Age has neither dimmed her anger at injustice nor her humor in overcoming any obstacles the foolhardy throw across her path. What a joy to be a part of her whirlwind. Aww. So they're just a great couple. They're just the kind of couple you're like, oh, man. Yeah. We need to see more of these happy marriages. Yes. You know? Goals. They are relationship goals. Yes, they are. (laughs) So here she is. Um, she's 43 and she gives birth to Mark Shriver and campaigns for Bobby Kennedy as New York Senator and for Ted Kennedy as Massachusetts Senator. So, I mean, just the never ending Kennedy campaigning slash being pregnant. I feel like this is just, <laughs> it's just yes. that's the carousel she is riding. Yeah. Like that is yep. that's what's happening. And she's still hoping if Politics they. and placentas. Oh, no. <laughs> That's it. Tagline. Hashtag. (laughs) Policies and incentives could not be better. So Eunice's Camp Shriver idea begins to kind of get legs of its own. And people come and they see that they can emulate this, that they can do this themselves. And so her Camp Shriver begins to like pop up all over the country. So not just these couple of dozen kids, but... Kids well, all over can take yeah, part. Yeah, her own camp starts to attract over 100 kids. Mm-hmm. And then there's six more in the region. And then she promises, she brings all these people in. She's bringing in, um, I mean, she they're not just like coming to see the camp. She's basically like bussing people in to see the camp. Yes. <laughs> like uh... senators' wives, park officials, state park officials, you know, come and see what I'm doing and um, see these kids and see how awesome they are and Once how much they can it, accomplish. And you see like the joy and the ability and everything. It's just so inspiring. If you've ever seen even like a YouTube video of any type of Special Olympics, you know, this yeah. is basically what she was trying to mm-hmm. sell to them was these kids in these physically challenging situations living up to a higher potential than they thought they had. It's so inspiring. So she also very helpfully says... And I will fund any, if you want to start a camp like this, the Kennedy Foundation will bankroll it. So, I mean, they just start going all over the country. Yes. 
Well, I, I feel like Eunice had a hunch that exercise and activity was just such a key to like furthering the development of these kids. And at this time, science is finally, finally starting to catch up with Eunice and backing her up. And so it's just really helping her cause when people are finally doing the research that the foundation is kind of funding and they're saying, you know what, she's right. This is working. Yeah. And so she hires this guy, Freeberg, to give a training to the Chicago Parks and Rec group. He comes down, he gives them a training all about, and he's going around everywhere, giving lots of different trainings. But this one is about the importance of physical activity for intellectually disabled people. And Anne McGlone, who's a 21-year-old Parks and Rec worker, gets inspired and she first she puts on a play for mentally disabled they do sound of music and she's so excited at how well this goes and how proud the parents are and it's again this whole like see you can be proud of this child too there's nothing to be ashamed of this is they're wonderful and what a joy they are she decides she wants to do a track and field competition so she writes a proposal and sends it to the kennedy foundation for funding well eunice Oh, yeah. She sat up straight in her chair. <laughs> She's like, finally, yes. someone with a good idea. Yes. So she summons Anne to D.C. in order to discuss the idea. Anne is like totally shaking in her boots. Mm -hmm. She has seen Eunice in the social pages. She knows she wears all these fancy designers and mm -hmm. she's just like, oh my gosh, it's a Kennedy. I have to, you know, so she really stresses about what she's going to wear. Well, she walks into this meeting and she does not have her glasses on right away because she's trying to like look. You know, girls you know. who wear glasses, still that. Right. So she glasses. has them off. And when she walks in, she looks at Eunice and she goes, oh man, she really is fashion forward. Look at those striped leggings or the, these striped the tights, stockings. Yes. She's wearing uh -huh. these striped stockings. And it's really fashion forward. When she puts her glasses on, she sees it's all runs. Like she has all these runs. <laughs> runs in the nylons. Yes. Yeah, she says, oh, okay. Oh. She's she's one of us. Oh, my like, gosh. That's a great story. Isn't it funny? I mean, it's so Eunice, too. Like, she's just like, could, you know, like, whatever. No time. Say she showed up in her bathing suit. Oh, well. <laughs> this could be. That could totally have happened. Yeah. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised if the meeting took place in a pool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, yeah. So, anyway. Eunice thinks, look, Anne, your idea is great, but you got to think bigger. You need to make this a national competition. And it can't just be track and field. It has to be all these other different competitions. And Anne is just this 21-year-old. You know, she's just like, oh, oh, okay, I guess so. <laughs> so comes up with a proposal and says it's going to cost $28,000 to do this. And Eunice says, great, I'll give you 25000 you know, all you yeah. need to do is come up with the 3000 extra funding. But it comes with Eunice's guy. Like, Eunice sends a guy to help put this on. So the par Chicago Parks and Rec is like, oh, this is our little thing that we're doing. But Our project. Eunice's guy it's is Eunice's there. Eunice's guy. And she says, Anne says, it was just always bigger and better and she says, my vision was never for national or international games. I didn't have the experience or the connections to think globally. She had bigger ideas. All Anne wants to do is get this small group of mentally disabled kids out and have one nice family day of track and field. Mm -hmm. That's but, what she's thinking yeah, is going to happen. This is what we think is going to happen. Phenomenon. Oh, well, yes. Okay. And I'll... 
because Eunice comes and she's going to address everybody. So she gets up there and she makes her address and, and Eunice kind of like tacks on in her enthusiasm. She's like, and we're going to have regional tryouts for the International Special Olympics. And jaws are dropping because they're like, the what? Who? What? <laughs> the hadn't discussed it complete surprise to like Chicago Chicago. Parks and Rec is like what are you talking about but she's so excited they have even at that very first one they've uh, they attracted over a thousand participants from 23 states so that's the it's the very first thing of its kind ever anywhere and it's already it just shows you how much big she knew I mean, Eunice knew there is a need mm-hmm. for this. And if you build it, they will come. We're not going to have to struggle to get this up and going. Right. This is a good idea. We need to run with it. And Major Mayor Daly, the mayor of Chicago, turns to her during right after her address and says, you know, Eunice, the world will never be the same after this. So there are some people <laughs> in Chicago who get it. precisely her intention. That yes, is exactly is. what she set out to achieve. And what's, what is the thing she says at the first Special Olympics? She said, let me win. But if I cannot win, let me be brave in the attempt. Which is uh, si- similar to Rose and Joe Kennedy's philosophy, which is win. Right. <laughs> win is the operative. And, and that's the end of their statement. It's yeah. like there's a bit of stoicism there, isn't there? Just, just get in there. Right. But I love that she's got this, you know, if I and if I cannot win, let me be brave in the attempt. That is a smack dabber middle child for you. Mm. I will try my best, but I know I'm not always going to win. <laughs> <laughs> so there was only a few hundred spectators at that first Special Olympics. And really shortly after that, it be- it grows so big that they are selling out whole stadiums. 68,000 people stadiums are selling out to watch Mm. these kids it affects such a tremendous change in attitude with the parents and caregivers and families of disabled children Mm. all of a sudden they have this opportunity to show how proud they are and it just it's like a dam breaking like people want this this is what they've they've wanted to be able to do with these special children and they haven't been able to until now. So she really, it's a revolution in attitude. So we're in the 60s now with Eunice. And as we get more and more into the 60s, um, socially, things just start to move and shake in a way that Eunice doesn't really kind of kind of vibe with. Like Eunice is not really feeling the whole 60s revolution and also the um the issues that are being raised by um like feminist groups they're they're Eunice is trying to listen anything to do with women's issues they're interesting to her but she's not really understanding what they're trying to say she can't understand how motherhood is taking away from a woman's life she just doesn't understand that because it didn't that it didn't for her exactly <laughs> no and like for her motherhood just like when you talk about like father she's thinking okay joe and god the father and if you talk about mother she's thinking okay rose is my mother and mary so she her like her ideas of like feminism or you know motherhood fatherhood all those things she she doesn't look towards the culture to kind of you know to inform her 
on on what her life should look like. She turns to her faith to look at that. So she's not really understanding, like, what are you all talking about? It's all very simple. Yeah. And Maria Shriver calls her own mom a maternal feminist. So Eunice never let go of the idea. She just basically refused to let go of the idea that motherhood is important to womanhood. She just wouldn't let go of that. She thought, not that everyone can be a mother or is a mother in the same way, but she thought, no, if we're going to talk about women, we have to talk about motherhood. And if you're trying to tell me that's not important, you're just wrong. So she was a feminist. I mean, you couldn't, how could she? Right. She's breaking boundaries. She's, you know, she's smoking her cigars with the guys. She's barging into offices. She is, you know, giving orders and she has no problem like kind of redefining gender roles and expectations for herself but she doesn't see that as an issue or you know she she realizes there are obstacles but i don't think she made the connection it's not her it's really this is not her fight no or you know she has a fight right for mental disability people who can't help themselves at all she has that fight but she feels like for women if they just kind of you know Take the initiative or force their way through so they can make, break boundaries. Like, she stop did. talking about it and just get to work. Yes. Yeah. Like, in some yes. ways. Like, I, yes. I could see her almost being like, enough with talking just about the ideas of this. Like, yes. Just, you know, like for sure, live Joe, out your life. <laughs> right. right. I don't think that Joe thought that the girls should get the same kind of education or that they were going to achieve, you know, as much as they did or certainly as much as she did. But she didn't let that stop her. And she's probably wondering, like, why are they letting that stop them? Just go do do those things. So I don't think she appreciated because she did have probably a lot more privilege and entree and and education than probably many to... I mean, she said it. She said, I know not everybody has these resources, but it's one thing to say it. And, you know, I don't think it was... uh, But also, really, she was so single-minded in her focus for the disabled that it just didn't there was not a lot of room for some other big although i mean that's not that actually that's not entirely true she was very focused on the civil rights movement too she wasn't as active in it but she was she knew all those people they were all in her circle and what about when you know the women's prison and those issues but i I guess she she did have room she did have room but I guess this was not where the focus of her interest was at the time. And also the whole the whole culture was just kind of moving along Whining where about- she didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was pretty traditional, really, in in some ways, you know, not in her personal. Yeah, it didn't seem like she cared about conventions, but she did. I think she cared about the important conventions. She didn't care maybe where like she didn't care maybe about the place settings or how she wore her hair or, you know, the runs on her those conventions were not important to her, but like the very important ones mm-hmm. I think were still a big deal. Mm-hmm. Bobby is campaigning though, again, as of course. So one day She's like, I got to go to Indiana for four days. So she packs a suitcase and it's this giant, huge suitcase. And when she gets there, Ethel says, Eunice, we're only here for four days. What did you pack? So Eunice says, I don't know. I just threw some things in. And she opens the suitcase to show her. And all that's in there is one nightgown, a slip and a pair of stockings. She has to wear the same dress for four days Uh because she didn't pack anything. She didn't think about it. So that's Eunice campaigning. Same dress for four days. During this campaign, Bobby is assassinated by a Palestinian who didn't like Bobby's pro-Israel stance. 
So this is now the fourth Kennedy to die. Yes. And again, out comes the rosary, out comes the prayers. Ethel, Bobby's wife, is pregnant with their 11th child, which blew my mind when I read that. I just couldn't believe it. still so young. That's incredible. Yep. Um, And she affirms that Eunice was calm and peaceful and that it was because she knew she'd be reunited with her brothers and sisters in heaven. Ethel talks a lot in all of the biographies. Ethel talks a lot about Eunice's faith and really tries to impress upon people that it was not a shallow no, this stoicism that got her through things, but that it was really uh, just a belief. She was just so convicted. And she wanted to think about like Joe Jr., and Jack and Bobby are now together. They're reunited. Like that to her was just unshakable. So there are no tears. They're going to get back to work. The Special Olympics are coming up in like six weeks after. Mm-hmm. So Bobby's campaign workers are kind of like at a loose end. Bobby's gone. They don't know what to do. And Eunice just kind of rouses everyone up and says, listen, you know what's going to make you feel better? helping someone else come with me and help me with these special olympics (laughs) yes our last episode ended with an assassination and this episode ended with an assassination so we promise that there will be no assassinations in our next episode when you join us for once upon a lifetime thank you to evan cresta for mixing and editing this and join us at our website onceuponalifetime.com for more pictures and show notes